0: It was it was great to go and partner with a local congregation there in Greece as well. Um, As Dave alluded to, preached at First Evangelical Church of Greece uh, on last Sunday. So a week ago Sunday was preaching there and being translated. And we were there with Baylor University actually that was help leading the worship, which was just kind of a collision of all kinds of fun things uh, there in that service. And um, then being in Exarchia with Tim Coomer, who you saw a picture of on the screen, Tim and his wife, Cynthia. Tim was actually, um, is actually the son of an Indian-born uh, father, a Greece mother, and he was raised in England. So he has a very multicultural background in which the Lord has really equipped him and invested in him with grace. The ability to step into probably one of the most diverse communities that I've ever even seen, the anarchist community there in Greece, which is one of the largest anarchist communities in the world. And to see his energy and his drive to learn about the questions that they were asking to learn about the thought patterns and the needs of that local community and to consider how it is that the gospel intersects with all of the the, the needs and questions that they were asking. And Tim just gave us a quick snapshot into some of the group meetings that he had gone to and some of the, the idealism of the anarchist community of seeing a world one day that will be utterly perfect and the revolution will come and will reestablish the way life is supposed to be. But always realizing that every time those changes come and realizing the revolution they're looking for may Never come being stuck in a kind of what does it all matter anyway kind of spirit and having to address the question of right there the gospel begins to speak and uh, Tim building for us um, a vision of the future in the scriptures that speaks to the heartbeat of the anarchists who doesn't yet know that it comes really from the narrative of the gospel and to see this young church plan over the last few years grow to sixty members, seeing people in the community converted, seeing refugees come to know the Lord, it was an incredible credible opportunity uh, to get out of what is can sometimes in our Day-to-day lives in our local communities can be just such a narrow slice of what it is that the Lord is doing, and kind of explode categories, and give us a much bigger vision for the kingdom. And I'm praying for that as we uh, turn our attention to a passage that I think actually speaks to the theology of the work of mission, Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to look together at just five verses, and for just a few minutes, uh, we won't be able to overturn All of the theology and all of the biblical theological rocks there are in this passage to see the beauty of it. But we're going to look at it practically and simply this morning and hopefully be encouraged as we behold Christ. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 6 together, beginning in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we spend a few minutes now in your word, we simply ask for the Holy Spirit to come in great measure to provoke within us a spirit that sees, believes, and obeys all that you have to say. Bind the evil one from this place, free us from distraction, and bring us to the place where we would be willing to say, We give all for Christ, for Christ has given all for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was struck in the conversation that we shared with Tim, the pastor there in Exarchia. Because in 2013, when they started the church there, they didn't foresee the refugee crisis. It was just right on the cusp. But after starting the work that that they knew would be difficult, and they knew there would be fraught with all kinds of challenges, the Lord, through His providence, began to turn things in Syria, began to turn things in Iran to such a degree that that literally thousands of refugees began to flee into Turkey and to Greece. And they, there in our exarchia, with the anarchists, began to be on the front lines of those who were receiving the refugees when they came. They began to realize that though they had had a mission and a vision for these um, Greek citizens, these anarchists, this this marginalized community that had never had a, a church within it, that the Lord was also bringing the world to them and was going to be building a church that was different than the one that they had envisioned. It had different colors. It had different languages. There were going to be different questions and different challenges. And instead of letting those opportunities, which may have been seen as challenges, pass by and to simply keep their head down in the way that they wanted to, quote-unquote, do church they opened up their eyes to see a new vision a vision of a church that god was building through a new movement in greece in their time they've seen conversions of anarchists yes but they've seen conversions of refugees the intervention house that will come become the new church that was once a bar will also house 5 to 6 refugee families that they will regularly be pouring into alongside the ministry of worship and discipleship that will go on in and through that building. That's why, as Brian said a second ago, the privilege to pray over that building that the Lord would redeem it and that he would use it for his purposes was one of the most powerful things for the men as we worked there in that place. Tim said it was learning to bear the burdens of the refugees that actually taught them the nature of the way they must share the gospel in Exarchia and to the refugees. It was doing the work that led to the deeper understanding. I think the Apostle Paul is speaking to something of that this morning in Galatians chapter 6. Because you've probably realized in your own life at times that it's not figuring things out and then going to do things. But it's often having just enough knowledge to, in faith to step out and to go do what God has called you to do, that on the back end, you gain some of the understanding and the wisdom that you couldn't have gained otherwise. It's a peculiarly American disease in many regards to have all of your ducks in the row before you do anything. It's got to be perfect before we step out, meaning we don't have to exercise much faith. We'd rather rely in many ways upon the orchestration, the abilities, the talents, and the resources that are already in place rather than step out and, as it were, build the bridge as you're crossing it and realizing that maybe the bridges you need to build are different because now you're actually entering the mission field and the Lord is granting understanding in faith to the call of obedience. In the passage that's before us, the Apostle Paul is calling the church at Galatia as he summarizes there in verse 2 to be a church that now who has walked by the Spirit, as you learned two weeks ago from Tony, saw the fruit of the Spirit as you heard last week from our brother Steve Green. This group now having paced with and gaining the fruit of the Spirit is to walk out in the love of the gospel in keeping with that spirit, to bear the burdens of others and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the summary of this passage. And so as we consider verse 2 and its surrounding verses, I want to simply look at it in a couple of ways with you. I want to start by looking at the need for burden bearing. I want to look at the need for burden bearing because there are two assumptions that are deeply embedded in that verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The two assumptions, especially on the first half of verse 2 is this. We all have burdens and we are not intended to carry them. Those are the two assumptions. We all have burdens and we are not intended to carry them, at least not on our own. In this room right now, there are burdens of physical ailment. There are burdens of family crisis and relational division. There are burdens of substance abuse and sexual addiction. There are difficulties in finance and employment. There are temptations to sin. There is spiritual warfare. There is all kinds of burdens that should we take the time to go pew by pew and person by person, we would be astounded of what is actually weighing us down right now in the midst of this room. These burdens are different in size, they're different in shape, they're different in kind because of the way that providence has unfolded in our lives. But here's one thing that commonly is felt by every single one of us in this room, and that is that we have burdens to bear. But this passage teaches us that we're not intended to carry those burdens on our own, though we often try to do so. I was struck reading back through Acts 17, 18, 19, and 20 as we were working our way through Greece and Corinth and then later to Rome. Paul in Acts 17 was speaking with the Epicureans and the Stoics on the Areopagus, the Stoics whom he reasoned with with regards to the gospel, a people who believed, these Stoic philosophers, that... The person who is most free and the person who is most mature, the person who is most enlightened, is the person who faces the brave elements of life dependent on no one. And those Stoics are merely examples, predecessors of American independency or self sufficiency or the kind of stiff upper lip, I'll do it on my own, thank you, spirit that so many of us walk through life with. Do we not do our best to not need anything from anyone at any time? And it's only when life becomes utterly unbearable that we finally reach out for help. And when we reach out for help, we do so apologetically, profusely, as if we have broken some law of the universe to be in need. The Bible teaches us that we are not a rock. We are not an island. Simon and Garfunkel were not right about the view of ourselves. Paul says here in verse three, it does not jive with reality. Look at what he says. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he is deceived. J.B. Phillips puts it this way if a man thinks he is somebody when he is actually nobody, he is definitely deceived. Now Paul is not meaning to attack directly our dignity as those who are created in the image of God. And he's also not saying we are good for nothing. He's saying in this passage we are to bear each other's burdens and we have a role and ability and a talent to do that. He's clearly pointing to the fact that we can be used by the Lord. But he's actually taking a shot at our ego. He's seeking to expose what's underneath that independent and self-sufficient spirit. And you and I both know what it is. It's pride. It's pride. Pride is the greatest enemy for gracious, loving, and burden-bearing relationships. Let me tell you why. Pride is the reason we refuse to bear the burdens of others. When we think we're really something and we're really somebody, we begin to believe that all the other nobodies should be serving us. Now, we never say that out loud, of course. It feels a little painful to say it that way. But isn't that how it really goes? We're too important to get up under the burdens of others, to be humiliated in that way, self-deprecating. Opportunities to care and love and pick up the burdens of others just pass us right on by because they're lower in station in life than the abilities that we've achieved. I mean, we have bachelor's and master's degrees, and we make lots of money, and we're important in some circles. And so we don't get underneath those burdens We really have come to be served, oftentimes rather than to serve. So pride is the reason that we don't bear the burdens of others, but here's maybe even a deeper clue. Pride is the reason we refuse to let our burdens be bore by others. The reason we don't want other people's help is not because we don't need it. Lord knows we need it. It's that we don't want to admit that we need it. We don't want to show that we're weak. We don't want to come across as needy and broken. In other words, we don't want to be who we are, who the Bible says that we are. And the shrewd among us have found many ways, and I would put myself sadly in this category too often, we have found ways to speak very spiritually about it. We've said things like, I cast my cares upon Jesus because I know that he cares for me. As if to intimate, I don't need anybody else but Christ. When it's quite clear that the scripture says I need the body of Christ. When it's quite clear that Christ actually bears our burdens in and through one another. That's his answer to the bearing of our burdens. You've probably heard the joke of the man who's drowning in the ocean and the ship liner comes by and he... He asked if he can throw him a life vest in order to save them. And he says, no, no, no. God is going to save me. I don't need your help. Of course, it's just so possible that that ship is exactly God's ship. And his life jacket. And it could be that you, the body of Christ, are God's answer. To the presence of Christ bearing the burdens In each other's lives. Now, I'm not going out on a limb. Paul says it, 2 Corinthians. I've been reading a lot of Corinthians, being in Corinth. He says, God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those who are in trouble. Later in chapter 7, he says, God has comforted us. How? Through Titus. Titus was the ministry of God to me when he came. Could it be that this morning that pride is keeping you from letting your burdens known and to be shouldered and bore by others because you're afraid? And then there's something else driving inside of your heart, which is the longing to be known and for those burdens to be shared. And you're afraid that you'll be crushed by the weight of something you were never meant to bear alone. Could it be that you're steering clear of the burdens of others because it just feels really messy to get involved? Oh, it is. And it will be. But it's pride that's motivating that. Aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus doesn't take that perspective? That it was going to be complicated to relieve us of our burden, and so he didn't come. Oh, it was complicated. But in love, he was compelled to come. He could do no other. There's a need for burden bearing, but I want you to see, secondly, there's a call to bear burdens. There's a call to bear burdens, and Paul does an incredible job in this passage, distinguishing and drawing distinctions between two different types of burdens. And you may have caught this when we did the reading earlier. Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and then let your eyes jump down to verse 5. For each of you will have to bear his own load. Now, at first glance, you think the Apostle Paul has already forgotten what he said in verse 1 by the time he gets to verse 5. He says, Bear each other's burdens, and then he says, You know, you just really got to bear your own burden. You got to bear your own load. It appears he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth, but in fact, he's making a very important distinction, a distinction that I think is really important in the body of Christ. In verse 2, Paul actually uses a very important Greek word. It's the word beros. It means a heavy weight or a stone. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 20 in the parable of the vineyard when speaking figuratively, he says, they bore the burden of the work in the heat of the day. It has the idea of a weight that is so great and you have to carry it for so long that in order to do so, you will be crushed by it. As we were carrying those blue bags that were 500 pounds apiece down the staircases at the intervention center. I don't know, what he was saying about 60 pounds? That was just bizarre. It's 500 pounds, no doubt, as we were carrying them. There was a few bags that were slightly heavy for Nate to carry. He's not as strong as Chuck or Brian or some of the others. And when they would see their beloved pastor... Breaking down in sweat, carrying the plaster and the wood down. They would run and rush to help me very kindly, and I would, I would let them. I would let them very regularly carry those heavy bags um, down the rest of the way. Now, what was going on? Barrows. Barrows. It was, it was too heavy. It was something that I can manage for a little while, but it's like anything. It's like, oh, five-pound bag of sugar, that's not too bad. We'll hold it for 30 minutes. The longer you hold it, the heavier it gets. The duration of it, the weight of it and the duration of it is what wears you down. And you need someone to swoop in and help carry that load. We would shoulder it together to the dumpster. And it was then when we would learn what it meant to really bear each other's burdens. I was thrilled this week to hear of Cody Jennings Smith's birth The son of Eric and Lauren Smith. Some of you have probably seen the beautiful pictures online. They're remarkable. He's clearly a keeper. As many of you know, having a child is a big deal. It's kind of a game changer. You never sleep again you work hard and they rarely say thank you. There's all kinds of things that go on. You have to adjust to the weight of the new stage in life. And you know what often happens when a new baby is born, the mother of the new mother or the mother-in-law move in for a little period of time. And they care for and they clean and they shop and they cook and the home fellowship groups get, get get time with the other children if there are other children and they start bringing meals to care. What are they doing? They recognize that the load is heavy and there's a need for an assistance. But you know what begins to happen after a while? Mom goes back home. Home Fellowship Group quits bringing meals. It's a terrible day. They're adjusting to verse 5. Verse 5 is the Greek word portion, which is the language for a pilgrim's knapsack or for a soldier's backpack. It's the normal load of life. He's saying here we are to bear each other's burdens until we can get to a place where that person can bear the burden themselves. We're to swoop in to assist them when undue weight falls upon their shoulders, and by God's grace, get them to a place where it's not barrows anymore, but portion. And in that way, we're not taking someone's burden from them, but we're helping them shoulder the burden that's been given to them. In fact, it's asking a question like this. What can we bear to help you bear the load that's been given to you? What can we bear to help you bear the load that's been given to you. And it's not a merely a birth of a child or, or um, uh, carrying blue bags down three flights of stairs. It's a family crisis. It's a death. It's a, it's a time of intense temptation. It's when someone falls ill. It's when someone falls under anxiety or depression. It's in those moments where we come alongside in order to lift up, in order to bear so we can get to a place where they can go a little bit further. That means that we're we're not over-responsible. We're not saying, I have to bear your load. And we're not being under-responsible. We're not saying, it's your load and I have no part of it to bear. But we're being biblical. We're recognizing that God has put us in this person's life to help them bear the burden that's too intense... So that they can continue to bear the load that the Lord has given to them. Some of you know I love hiking. We got the chance to hike. Up to Acrocorinth, which is the citadel on the top of the mountain there in Corinth. And it's quite a hike up to it. And I remembered the days when I used to hike more regularly with friends. Whether it's out west or the Appalachian Mountains, wonderful to sit upon those vistas, right? To just see out upon the gloriousness of creation. But when you're going for four or five days and you're carrying 40 to 50 pounds on your back and you go a few miles, I don't have to tell you, the shoulders begin to hurt, correct? You start not feeling them, actually. And when I was going with my friends very regularly, one of the things that we would do to just simply aid our ability in the hike is that we would get behind each other because we didn't have time to take off our packs very often because we had a a particular period of of space or time that we wanted to cover. And so we would just get behind the pack and we would lift it for just a few minutes off the shoulders and we would just kind of. You know, stretch out those muscles and it'd give us just a moment's reprieve. And then terribly, they would lower that burden back down upon us. But you know what? When they lowered it back down, you could go another mile. It's bearing each other's burdens. I mean, you carry it the whole time, but you're helping in the carrying. To help the person be able to carry that which is theirs. Now, I don't have to tell you if you're actually involved with people deeply in their lives, you know that there's a need for burden bearing and you know there's a call in the Bible for burden bearing. But the third thing that you know is there's a wisdom required in the midst of the burden bearing. It's not always clear what's a baros and what's a fortune. It's not always clear when one bleeds into the other. Plus, everybody's different. There are varying capacities for the people in which we care for and interact with. We have to walk in wisdom and relationships. I was at our neighborhood pool a few weeks ago and one of our neighborhood friends came and sat down by me at the pool. And I knew, I knew this was a, this was a moment. It's what happens when you're a preacher out in the community. People just come and, oh, there he is. I'm going to go after him. And so here we are at the pool. And she asked the question, when do you know you're giving too much grace? Right? Explain. What's, what's going on? And she begins to tell me a story. A story of a neighbor that she's been caring for her children. And she herself has been going through a very difficult time. And she can't provide the care that's been needed. But this days of care have turned into weeks of care. Have turned into months of, of care. Leading up to a year. And in the summer when they're not in school. That means they're always at my house. And it's beginning To get to the place where in bearing that person's burden, I'm losing the ability to carry my own load. How do you know when you've been giving someone too much grace? You've been bearing, as it were, their load rather than their too much weight is the question she's asking. And we begin to talk. Well, it's important that you share the burden, Clearly in her situation, she was the one savior, if you will, of this woman and the family. And constantly she was the one in whom the pressure was placed to do it. That's got to be diversified. A team of people have to begin to bear this burden. But it came down to the fact of the language that she said, I think there may be an abuse of the generosity. And when she's getting into that, she's beginning to talk about that nasty thing called sin. Sin. Where we often will abuse the kindness of others in the bearing of of burdens. Uh, We will often treat something that's really our own load as if it's too weighty so that people will take care of us. Uh, Just on the flip side where we won't tell anyone that we have a load that we can't bear and it's unbearable. We can fall off a number of Of ditches as we're walking down the road to bearing burdens. And as we begin to talk, I begin to ask about godly confrontation. Have you addressed this? You see, that's the Apostle Paul's point in the passage. His main focus is there in verse one. He says, If anyone is caught in transgression, it's not just mercy ministry. It's not just burdens, though that's for sure. It's really the weightiest burden of all. It's the weight of sin. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, as soon as I began to bring up godly confrontation, she began to squirm. And rightfully so. We know how that goes not well. And I said, well, in doing this, if we're walking according to the step of the Spirit and we're bearing in the fruit of love, which is the very first of the fruit of the Spirit, it's not good for this person to continue to abuse this generosity for their own character and their own life. Love for them demands a confrontation. To address it, to speak into it, to begin to dialogue about it. The Apostle Paul says, this is exactly the point of what it means to spiritually bear the burdens for one another. He says, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now when he says you who are spiritual, he's not meaning to kind of poke in the ribs. You know, you who think you're really spiritual. No, he's been talking about the spirit all in chapter 5. He's saying you who are keeping in step with the work of the Spirit, you who are relying and dependent upon the Spirit, you who are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, you who are maturely walking in Christ, it is your responsibility to bear the burden of godly confrontation. Uh, To go and to point out and to expose and to restore. That word restore means to bring back to its former condition. To get back From the heaviness of this load. Do you know what often happens? We hold on to our sin. Do you know what happens when we hold on to our sin? It's like holding that five pound bag of sugar for a long period of time. It turns into 10 pounds and 15 pounds. Oh, I got it. I got it. No, you don't. You start crushing underneath of it. And you need someone to come and you need someone to help you cast it towards Christ to cast it to the one who bears the burdens of our sin. Last night I was going over the bulletin with my children, which is our Saturday night routine, and I was asking them about burdens, and they had so many uh, wonderful things to share. But one of the things they noted was in Pilgrim's Progress, And how Christian early on down the celestial way as he's headed to the heavenlies comes to the cross. And it's there where that weight of sin falls off of his back and his burden rolls into the empty tomb. Do you see when you have begun to grasp how the burden has been lifted in Christ. And that he has fully paid For all of our sins, the greatest weight that we experience, He has promised that that which He has begun, He will bring to completion. He has promised that He will provide for His saints and He will take care of them for all eternity. He's gone to prepare a place for you will he not return and gather you? When you begin to live under the freedom of the ultimate burden bearer, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you begin to understand why Jesus says, my yoke is easy. He says, take up your cross daily and follow me. That sounds really hard and it is hard. There are elements of that that are heavy. You're dying to yourself every single day. But when you understand that he has died for you, And has given you a standing with the Father. And he will one day vindicate you. And say well done good and faithful servant. When you begin to live under the freedom of that yoke. You know what begins to happen? It frees you up to bear other people's yoke. It frees you up to get up underneath the other burdens of everyone else. Do you see, if you're bearing all the burdens of sin without making a quick pivot in repentance and bringing them to Christ, confessing and turning from your sin, you won't have the margin to be able to bear anybody else's burden. But if your burden is becoming lighter and your yoke is becoming easier because you're valuing and experiencing the depth of God's grace, constantly bringing your transgressions to him, receiving the instruction and the admonition of others, it frees you up to be able to do likewise with others. And he says when you do this, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. He says when you do this, you are fulfilling The law of Christ. You see, that's exactly what Christ has done. The law of Christ, John 15, love your neighbor as yourself, what Jesus himself did on the cross. As you you live into the reality of that gospel, the yoke actually becomes lighter, your margin and ability to bear others' burdens becomes greater, and something of the Lord Jesus Christ begins to show up in resemblance of your character and your practice. I was talking to the woman there at the pool, and I began to talk about godly confrontation. She wanted to skirt that. Didn't, didn't want to talk about that right then. She said, I wish that you could just do what other people do. It seems like they're able to bear way more burdens than I'm able to bear, and I just seem to crush under so many. And I said, well, don't compare yourself to others. You know, the Apostle Paul says here in verse 4, Let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. It seems odd what the Apostle Paul is suggesting here. But the gist of what he's saying is, don't look at others and their measurement to be able to bear burdens as your standard for how your burdens ought to be bore. Instead, look to, to God. Let Him test your work. He's the audience for your work. He's not given all of us the same capacity in that. When we begin to be free of others and wedded to Christ, we're able to yoke ourselves to others to show them Christ. We're able to give them the love that we've received in Christ. And brethren, that's who we want to be at Cornerstone. We want to be a body of Christ that runs towards the burdens, not away from them. We want to be the body of Christ that exposes the burdens and speaks to them. And doesn't hide them and let them get heavier. We want to be a people who know Jesus so well. The ultimate burden bearer. That by coming to worship. By participating in a home fellowship group. By being under the teaching of a Sunday school class. And simply sharing in the hallways of the church. Burdens begin to fall off. We lift up each other's backpacks just a little while. And point each other to Christ. And walk another mile until the day where we cross the finish line and we collapse into the arms of Jesus and we will know in a way that we only faintly know now that He has indeed bore every burden on your behalf. In that day there will be great rejoicing because you will know the love of Christ fully and you will radiate the love of Christ completely and it will be glorious. So Monday morning is coming. And there are going to be burdens to bear. Don't carry them in your own flesh. Carry them with the power of the Spirit. With a vision of the gospel. And when others' burdens come your way, don't turn away or farm them out to others. It might be that God has chosen to use you And that's why he brought it to you. In confidence, take a step out. And trust God to do all the heavy lifting. Let's pray to that again. Father in heaven, come and help us become the people that you've called us to be. Come and help us see and walk according to the way of Christ. That the testimony of our life could be that we, by grace, have fulfilled the law of Christ. Come, Lord Jesus, and do this, we pray. We ask it in your holy and precious name. Amen.